Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. Join me as we take a look into the darker side of success. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. Today, I'm here with Brendan from Master Talk. Hey there, Brendan. Hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going well. And I'm going to actually put you on the spot real quick because I've listened to way too many videos of yours to try to figure out if you ever say your last name. So can you give me the proper pronunciation? Because I don't think I heard it. It's usually Brendan from Master Talk. So I was just curious. Yeah, I usually do that because podcasters struggle so much with my last name. I think that's my number one lesson. Yeah, I was going to guess Kumarasami. That's actually correct. Yeah, you got it. Oh, nice. Okay. But I couldn't find one. You said it. So I wanted to make sure I, I didn't know if I missed it or not, but that's, that's good to get out of the way just for my own sake. So how, how are you doing? Life, life is always great, man. It's good. You're in Canada, right? So it's good to see another fellow Canadian. Um, I'm not in Canada, but no, I, you're not. I have family in PEI, Prince Edward Island uh, area. That's close enough. I'm in Colorado. So, uh, oh, fair close enough, enough uh, a C word, but it's, you know, a good C word at least. I was watching one of your, I think it was from just the other day, your video on stand-up comedians and their application to, you know, kind of the whole public speaking realm. And I really loved that because I've always just been so amazed with what they do as a profession, like how much they have to be on the spot, you know, kind of all the time and being judged. So it's kind of interesting when you compare, like you were saying, uh, when you compare normal public speaking to uh, stand-up comedy, at least it's a much lower bar of maybe expectations from from an audience, especially at least from a lot of people aren't really presenting or doing a lot of public speaking in massive groups like you do. A lot of people are just doing it maybe in a corporate meeting or something like that. And certainly the bar in those uh, scenarios is super low. So like any kind of joke usually will do pretty well in like a corporate general meeting. But uh, but how do you how do you view when you're when you're going to give just a general talk? How do you prepare in a way that uh, makes you not be worried about what's going to happen, but also gives yourself ability to kind of um, improvise and maybe uh, let some of yourself shine through? Yeah, especially since you mentioned the the stand up comedian part. I think I definitely think it's worth mentioning, as you alluded to very well, and in the sense that public speaking is actually a lot easier than stand-up comedy. And what I mean by that is when you're a stand-up comic, it doesn't matter who's in the audience. People know what's funny and what's not funny, right? Whereas if you're speaking on a subject like me with communication, at the end of the day, you might look at me and go, well, I guess he's the expert. He's probably right. But if I'm a stand-up comedian and I'm not funny, everyone in the crowd will know. Yeah. So there's definitely a different layers to that. But when it comes to public speaking, I would say the easiest thing that people can do tomorrow they'll really add value to their presentations is a method that I call the puzzle method. So think of public speaking like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, those thousand piece puzzles you kind of put together with your family. I guess now since we're in COVID, we can't really go outside. So that's probably a favorite pastime for people. Yeah. We've definitely bought a couple of puzzles since, since quarantine started. Oh, there you go. So, so you're the perfect candidate for my question. (laughs) Yeah. So for you, Ben, if you were working on a puzzle, which pieces would you start with first and why? I mean, I think the traditional theory is to go with the edge pieces. I don't have a lot of puzzle uh, knowledge or theory, but I think that's the best way to do it because then you can frame it um, a bit better and know where you're starting. 
No worries. They're the easiest to find as well. Absolutely. Completely agreed. That's what most people answer, and you would be correct, even if I'm not a puzzle expert myself, so I can't <laughs> confirm that completely. I don't, know if, I don't know how many puzzle experts there are, but I'm sure there's probably a big, a big group. <laughs> yeah, so for the two people who hate me right now, for everyone, <laughs> for everyone else, it's a good analogy to keep playing around with. So in this idea that with the jigsaw puzzle, we always start with the corners, the question we need to ask ourselves, Ben, is why don't we do that in presentations? We have a presentation at work at school, in business in two days. So what do we do? We start with the middle. We shove a bunch of content in it. We practice, practice, practice. And then we get to the presentation. We get to our last slide. And it sounds something like this. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, thanks. That's probably 97% of all the presentations I've heard in my life. But thankfully for us, there's an easy way to fix this. Treat your public speaking like a puzzle piece. Like a jigsaw puzzle, start with the edges first. Practice your introduction 50 times, not three times, not five times, but 50 times. It's actually not that hard. It'll take you an hour. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? A terrible movie. Same thing, 50 times. And then after two hours of practice, you'll probably be the best speaker that you know, and then you can use your confidence to tackle the middle. Okay. So there's two things there I want to touch on. I'm just going to say the first one separately. I'll try to remember the second, but for me, one of the, one of the difficulties when it comes to, you know, public speaking is certainly silences. I'm struggling right now, even I'm trying to figure out how much pause to leave because a lot of times I want to rush through and sometimes my brain's working a lot more in, you know, kind of overtime. Do you think that practice that you're talking about is part of what gets you through some of that um, silence issue? And also do you think, because I, I hear what you're saying and I would never do 50 times. I, I can only imagine you get bored doing that. But that's probably why it makes you so good, because not many people do that. So I struggle to accept the advice. But at the same time, I think it's really good advice. I just have it's, I struggle to take good advice sometimes, you know. You know, it's funny you say that, Ben. Even when you don't want to do it, you still end up applying the advice. Why is that? Because you're a podcast host. I mean, at the end of the day, your podcast follows the same structure. It's just the guest changes, right? You know, it's always, oh, hey, person who's on the call, let me ask you these questions I prepared, and then let's call it a day. Always, always the same thing. So even when you don't want to practice the same format, the fact that you always do makes you really good at communication without knowing it. That's a great point, because I think that's the only way I can actually practice. I can't do it in like, I, I have trouble with scripts and stuff like that. I think I'm sure a lot of people you deal with have trouble sometimes doing that and they'd rather wing it, but that always makes the presentation suffer. But I think one way of, if you've struggled with practice like I do, is just doing more of it, because that's literal practice that will make you better, but just not as quickly as if you're practicing, you know, uh, on your off time. Absolutely, man. Completely agreed. I, I think the idea is if everyone just picked a topic that they can repeat and actually add value for people with that topic. So let's say for in your case, let's say you made a presentation about your own podcast. The beauty of that, it's something you enjoy speaking about. And guess what? You're always going to be promoting the show. So you're always going to need to present what failure guy is, what it is, what it is over and over again at chambers of commerce or local communities or even internationally. So that's a great example of a topic that you can use. And that applies to everybody. If you like to bake cookies, you can make a presentation on your favorite recipe. It's not that it's not hard. You just got to be willing to do it 50 times. 
Yeah. Would you say that is what helps with uh, something like silence that I struggle with? Or do you have specific tips for people who struggle with, you know, leaving some of those gaps that make conversation more interesting? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's definitely specific advice I can happily give on silences. And, and the advice is actually very simple. The reason why we struggle so much with pauses is we don't practice the harder thing which is pausing for excruciatingly long periods of time. So let's say during a presentation, you're not used to pausing. If you pause for two to three seconds like this, most people then start to get worried. They start to think the following. I wonder what my audience thinks of me. I wonder if they think I'm dumb or that I don't know what I'm talking about. That's usually the reaction that we get. That's mostly thought, taught through the education system because 99% of the presentation we've given in our lives are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Ben, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Like nobody says that in the world except maybe me. And like three <laughs> other people. So that's, that's the, that's the struggle. But then after we overcome that, they're like, what's the solution? The solution is saying, how about you learn to pause for five minutes? So the exercise, Ben, is go to somebody that you love or easy or harder, go to somebody you don't love and look at them for five minutes. You can blink. You just can't do anything else and can't say anything else. And most people can't hold the silence for that long. And it helps you a lot with your presentations when you pause for three or five seconds. Yeah, it's interesting because what you said certainly speaks to me, but I feel like since at least in this scenario where I'm the podcast host and I have ultimate control, if I sound like a moron, I could just scrap the whole question. There's less on the line, you know, but when you're, let's say the guest in your scenario or when you're doing a live public, you know, speaking kind of performance, which I've done. So uh, to give a little bit of background, I teach uh, Microsoft Excel training online as well. I don't really mention it on here just because I don't love promoting things, but uh, I struggled for a while to even get people to show up to a presentation. So I was promoting it for months and then literally two people showed up and one of them was like the person who worked at the store that I was presenting at, but it still was great <laughs> practice, you know, to, to, to even do it in front of anybody, it, it helps. But when you're in those live scenarios and there's no way to go back and take anything back, is there a different mindset that you get in where you is there a way of being more nonchalant is there or is it really just the fact that you've practiced so much that is less to fear in in the uncertainty i would say one part is definitely the repetition but the other part that's less obvious is this idea of thinking back to the two people that watched you present did you get dinner with them after the workshop was over no. most people say no exactly Whereas the secret to public speaking, besides repetition, is understanding why your, matter, your ideas matter in the first place. When I started Master Talk, Ben, I thought it was a stupid idea. I was a kid in a basement making videos in my mother's basement, more specifically. And I had no idea why I was doing it. It was more just, okay, let me just help some people out. I thought nobody was listening. I had like 17 subscribers on my YouTube channel. It was just, it was just a stupid thing. Like I was just going to work at a corporate job and not think much of it mm -hmm. until... I started speaking to the people who are watching my videos. So let's say I take person A. Person A goes, hey, Brent, I've been watching your YouTube videos. I'm like, no, you haven't. Come on. And then they start mm -hmm. repeating the tips that I've been teaching. And I was like, whoa, why do you watch my stuff? And then they go on the spiel and they talk about why my ideas matter. But the same analogy applies to everybody who's listening. You know, you know to Ben, you, know, you might love Excel. Most people don't. But the people who are sitting in that room 
are like, man, I want to get better at Excel. So when, when you're having dinner with those people one-on-one, and I'm very big on the dinner thing. I like mm-hmm. the sharing food aspect of it, even if it's hard to do these days. Yeah. But during those conversations, you really get a feel as to why your ideas matter. And I'll give you, I guess, uh, an example of this. Uh, the moment I decided MasterTalk mattered was when I was at a workshop for, for a young, like teenage uh, leadership program. They're very young and it was pro bono. And uh, I went up to this girl and she was like 14 years old. And I just asked her what she thought about public speaking. And she started getting really afraid. She's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't really like public speaking. It's not something. And that's when I realized why I needed to master talk for people like her who couldn't afford me. Yeah, because a lot of times in order to train people, well, first of all, training people helps you get better at doing it. But also just the fact that you're further along than they are is really all that is necessary in those instances to get them, you know, to either where you're at or somewhere closer. And it's interesting what you're saying, because my my struggle was, you know, similar to what you were saying, I, I had developed a big online presence. And so a lot of people were watching my online videos and I thought I want to do some in-person presentations to like improve my presentation ability. Cause when you're doing it just to a video camera, it's a lot harder. So I imagine in those scenarios, you probably would recommend sending your finished videos to people to get feedback because I don't do that either. A lot of people, myself included, cringe so much with yourself on video or audio sometimes that it's hard to play it back, whether it's the sound of your own voice or just how you look on video uh, or, or it's hard to take actual criticism from anyone else who watches it. I know I struggle with that. Is there anything you'd, you'd recommend for how you get past that? Cause I know you do send your videos to people to get feedback, right? Yep. And it, and it was horrifying for me to watch myself too at the beginning, especially when I started the YouTube channel, there's a reason why, uh, I like to keep up my old stuff so people can see the process. You know, I literally started in a basement with no lighting, with the phone and no budget. And it took me three weeks before posting that first video. And the reason I didn't want to post was because of how ashamed I was by the content and the quality of that content. Because at that point, when I started YouTube, I was already one of the, you know, the, the speakers that people knew in the country when in that, in that circuit I used to do. So it was really embarrassing to see myself <laughs> kind of not being able to pull off the same level of quality for people. But I think what you, how you get over it is pretty simple. It's this idea of answering yourself, answering the following question. The question is, do you have time to share your idea with everyone who needs to hear it? The of answer course, is... Of course not, I would imagine. Exactly. Same thing happened with me. I want to be a corporate executive and I had no intention of being a YouTuber whatsoever until one of my friends came up to me and he said the following. He said, Brendan, you know, you're a pretty young guy. You know, you're going to be fine in the corporate world. I'm sure you'll be successful, but do you have time to coach everyone on public speaking? Like if everyone stood in a line, let's say 100,000 people stood in a line, they're ready to pay you $1,000 an hour for your time. Would you have time to coach every single one of them before you died? The answer is absolutely not, right? I'd be dead before I got to all that number of people individually anyways. And then he said, okay, so what do you do now? And then I looked at him and I said, I need to start a YouTube channel because it's the only way to reach everybody without talking to everybody. I need to scale my knowledge without scaling my time. So that's that's what happened essentially. So I think my advice that people need to understand is video is one of the few ways in the world besides maybe a podcast like this one or a blog 
where you can share your idea with millions of people. So if your goal is to impact a lot of people, it doesn't need to be that number. It could be a local community as well, where you share some gardening tips or anything. Once you realize that the impact of your message and that your message matters more than your fear, only then will you succeed. Yeah. And it, sometimes it can be hard. I know when people are starting out, they can feel, you know, some of that imposter syndrome and that they don't have anything worth sharing. Like you were saying when you were, um, you know, training those uh, that were just barely uh, starting out. Was there anything when you were starting out in those times, were there any struggles where you were trying to convince people of your skills and your ability to train them, but they weren't listening because you were either too young or too inexperienced? Oh, absolutely. I got a million of them. But I think the 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 big one that is probably worth mentioning is I started Mass Truck when I was 22 years old and I started training executives on how to speak when I was 23. So that's that's definitely a lot of imposter syndrome and a lot of insecurity, especially on my end. Yeah, wow. You know, when you're when you're training people double your age, right? So so I think I think the idea and what shifted my mindset, and this is where confidence comes from at the end of the day, Ben. It comes from two areas. The first one is the obvious one that we talked about, prep. You know, if you just prepare more than everyone else, you're bound to be a bit more confident than you were otherwise. But the other part that not many people talk about, and it's not, you know, drinking a glass of water or breathing <laughs> or power pose. And I'm not a big believer in any of that stuff. I think it's useless, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think the real thing that matters is having a belief system. Why are you giving this presentation to begin with? What is your point of view on how the world should be and why? And once you figure out what that point of view is, once you figure out why your message matters, that is when you start to to feel more confident. So if you take me as a personal example, yeah, was I scared to coach those executives when I got started? Absolutely. You know, I was deathly afraid. You know, I was pissing in my pants practically every workshop (laughs) I was giving. But I think what, what got me over it is when I realized how much I needed to succeed. And the reason I needed to succeed was because for all of the people who can't afford me, I needed to be their speech coach too, which means I needed the income from those executive clients so that I can make the quality that you see today on my YouTube channel. So I think for me, it's just, it was more about saying, oh, am I going to just build up my confidence? No, no, no. It was about saying, no, I'm going to force myself to feel that confidence. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to figure it out because other people need me to share that message to people. And for you, it's not going to be as intense when you start. You know, for you, it might just be a YouTube video that you just make in your basement or I guess your mother's basement like I did. Mm. And then over time, the vision gets bigger. But I think the key is once you figure out the bigger play is, focus on the smaller version of that play and then keep playing. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. Uh, I'm curious, is there something specifically that you'd say that people in general maybe do to themselves, either psychologically or otherwise, to kind of sabotage themselves or hold themselves back, um, even from the get-go? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things. But I think the one thing that not many people talk about on shows is they're not very clear on who they're trying to help. And that doesn't mean business-wise. That just means the person they're trying to do this thing for, this podcast, this YouTube channel, this book, this recipe. And the question I have to help you figure it out pretty quickly is the following. Who suffers from your inability to take action every day? Every single day that you wake up and you choose not to do the thing, it could be anything, understand very clearly who suffers. So for most people, the choice looks like this, Ben. 
choice A is do the thing, you know, start the podcast, um, start the daycare, whatever, whatever they wanted, whatever want people want to do. And option B is watch Netflix. It's pretty simple trade-off, right? Most people choose Netflix. But for someone like me, Ben, option A is watch or rather make the videos, make the Master Talk YouTube channel, or option B, watch millions of people around the world suffer. Julia is a 16-year-old girl. She's sitting in high school and she's super successful. She has all the best grades in the world, but she's deathly afraid of public speaking. So for the one moment in her life, Ben, she types the things that she would never type on a search engine because she's usually searching for her favorite comedy videos or something entertaining on YouTube. But for one moment in her life, she types the following public speaking tips. She presses enter. And what does she see? She sees a bunch of old white dudes who don't know anything about public speaking. So she gets afraid. She closes the laptop and never wants to work on her communication skills for the rest of her life unless I do something about it. And the reason I gave you that full example is to demonstrate the following. I'm not smarter than anyone else. I'm not more important, but I understand the person I'm helping a lot more clearly than anyone else. And once you understand who that person is, you become unstoppable. That's, uh, I think that's really good advice and super interesting. And I'm curious for based on that, from what I've heard, you've both wanted to train, you know, teenagers who don't know much of anything up to C-level executives. So what would you say based on that breadth of, of scope for your target, you know, person to, to talk to, who would you say is more, um, who you're trying to, to reach? Or are you saying that maybe the executive training was in service of creating the more public facing and more broadly accepted, uh, training? Mm, very sharp question. You've cleared in your homework, Ben. That's awesome. Uh, for me, the the ultimate goal of Master Talk is to weaponize every genius in the world. So, what do I mean by that? I think Vinod Kosla, who's the founder of Kosla Ventures, he's a billionaire entrepreneur, he's the founder of Sun Microsystems, explains this very well. He says every decade in the entire world, there's around ten thousand people. Let's say, give or take, he gives an arbitrary number of individuals who are meant to make a big difference in the world. They have this huge idea, you know, the Ubers of the world, the Facebooks of the world, the 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 big podcasts of the world, whatever the mm. idea is. And I think for me, because we currently live in a world where communication isn't democratized, like let's say you want to hire somebody like me or another speech coach who's better than me or just as good as me, it'll run you a lot of money. And I thought that was crazy because for somebody who has this idea for a new nonprofit that's going to revolutionize the world, I think it's insane that that person doesn't have access to some of the best speech coaches in the world and their content for free. So for me, the ultimate goal with Master Talk is essentially to get to the next Elon Musk. Because unfortunately for Elon, or I guess unfortunately for me, I'd be more than willing to coach him for free. It's just he probably doesn't have time for communication coaching anymore. So, so the ultimate vision is the next Elon, whether it's a woman or a boy, a girl or a boy, I mean, you know, they're 12, they grew up listening to me, so they don't need me. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, even in regular, uh, what, what I'll call regular, um, you know, education and college education, there's not a lot of focus on communication and public speaking, or at least it's always looked at as an elective and a lot of people tend to avoid it. But if it was more something that was required or emphasized or the importance of it was certainly um, more forefront, I think you'd have a lot better public speakers around and maybe 
less ability for you to 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 help um but it's, it's probably a good thing and a bad thing it leaves certainly a drought of knowledge in that space but it's interesting just like when i do um, my excel training and stuff the personal finance is also left out completely of college education and education in general it's amazing how you can spend so much money getting a bachelor's degree and a master's degree but still lack some of these fundamental things that can help so much with with your career I completely agree. It's kind of insane. Yeah. So you thought thought you'd help fill some of that gap. And I, I love what you said about just creating things, not necessarily a lot of people will look at it as I'm going to make this so that I become famous or I'm going to make it so that other people benefit. But I think it's an interesting viewpoint to take the view of who would miss out if you didn't do it. And you use that as a motivating factor to create more and more often so that you're not having as more, you know, a, a growing audience of those people left behind that you could imagine each day that passes accumulate as you don't uh, create more things. Cause I think it's important to do more, but also it can be really easy when you're a creative person making something for someone who's not yet asked for it. It can be easy to kind of lag behind and, and wait for no good reason other than to procrastinate. I'm, I'm with you, man. And one thing I wanted to add there, especially when people like, you know, call me altruistic and stuff, which is, I think the angle you're going with here is I'm just as selfish as the next guy. You know, I always like to say that because the person who needs master talk the most is not the people who watch my videos. It's me for without master talk. Who am I? Mm. Right. Being that Robin hood S character gives me purpose. And in, in, in other words, you can say that your passions are a self or a selfish expression because they, ha- they, ex- they help you achieve more happiness and fulfillment. But, but I think the key to, to life is really finding what that selfish expression is for you. But if that selfish expression leads to helping other people, then even better. Yeah, certainly it's the intent behind it, because if it's only to certainly get as much money as possible or help as few people as possible, but get a lot of money, that's obviously not a great plan. But it is it is great when you have um, good selfish reasons to do well in business and things like that. So if you set up the right kind of business that's set up ideally as all businesses should be to help their customers, then hopefully you being selfish and, and creating more for yourself means that you're creating more for your customer as well, hopefully. Absolutely. Completely agreed. So you've done both not only the online training and the one-on-one coaching, but you've also done public presentations and public speaking uh, to larger audiences. Is that right? That's true. Uh, So in those instances, do you have any specific stories of failure or maybe some of the worst moments that you've had on stage? Have you had any blunders um, while giving a presentation or or an important uh, discussion? Hmm. I would say uh, there's one situation where I, I was I was very shocked uh, before I gave the presentation. I'm happy to share that one. So what happened essentially was uh, I was at I was at a keynote. This was a couple of months before COVID hit, and I'd prepared for that keynote for three four months. I was ready to go, ready to give a presentation, and I get there, and 15 minutes before the presentation starts, the director comes up to me and she says, Oh, Brennan, I forgot to tell you, I need you to do the, I need you to do half the presentation in French. And I just <laughs> went, what? I, obviously lucky for me, you know, I know how to speak French. So oh, that wasn't wow. too much of, okay. that wasn't too much of an issue, but since I didn't prepare in French and English, I said, wait, you want me to switch between both languages at the same time? She said, yeah, go for it. So that was, that was very nerve wracking. Uh, for me. And I, I did struggle quite a bit in that presentation, but wow. I, but I managed all right. 
and is there something specifically you've seen someone else do like a worst thing you've seen someone else do in front of you that maybe uh, you felt uh, deep in your soul uh, in terms of uh, shame for, for <laughs> oh man now you're asking me the real stuff it doesn't uh, have to be I, specific to, to I mean, you don't yeah. have to give specifics of course no, it's just, uh, you know, you get to, to the, the insanity that I have. I mean, how crazy do you have to be, Ben, to make a YouTube channel only on public speaking? Like nothing else. Just public. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a pretty high bar for, uh, for the people I coach and the people I see. So, so I'm pretty critical. You know, and when people start a presentation, they go, hi, everyone. My name is like, Jesus, come on. Like you could do better than this. Right. So it's just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty, I'm a, not a very nice guy. So I guess everything could be better. <laughs> do you keep that mostly internal or how do you, uh, when you're trying to give feedback and criticism, uh, constructive criticism, is there a way, is there any techniques that you have in order to make sure that it's taken the right way? Oh man, we can have a whole class about this. That's a very <laughs> sharp question. Here's the way I think about it, Ben, and you probably have a similar experience with the with coaching people in Excel. But the way that I think about it is different feedback for different levels. Like I coach like very high level people, like very you know minted speakers, all the way mm -hmm. to six year old girls. And what I tell my executive clients is is to think about how I coach the kids. Do I really, am I really this aggressive? Do I talk this? No, I, I talk something more like this. So Julia, what do you care about? She's like, I care about school. And I was like, present about school, right? Notice how the way that I'm speaking to that yeah. individual, it's completely different. So, so I think the way that, that I've always coached people is as they get better slowly over time, our role as coaches, I've always believed, is to meet somebody where they're at at their level and coach them at that level. And then as they increase, get more and more harder. So let's say in, let's say in a first interaction with someone, I'm, I'm never rude. I try my best not to criticize people in their public speaking. I, I mostly say encouraging things. Mm -hmm. Oh, you did that. Great. Let's work on this. But then after the mindset piece is over and you get really good, then I really start to hammer people down with uh, feedback. So let's say you think about a podcast show. I'm, I'm always, my intention is always be at chapter one in a podcast, never mm -hmm. going to anything too advanced. It's going to confuse a lot of people yeah. and only have one intent, which is to convince people that they can do it. If I can convince people on this show and in and, and this message for today, I consider that a win. Yeah, I think it's a great way to look at it. And I think what you're doing and certainly the videos that you put out there and everything I've seen definitely puts forth a mindset that anyone can, you know, do it. And it's not something that should be scary. And I know a lot of people, you know, there's that saying that the people fear it worse than death, uh, public speaking. But I think a lot of times that's just misplaced because people kind of mystify this thing that they haven't done much and just the lack of doing it is a lot of what what makes it so difficult i'm with you man absolutely now do you have a specific public speaker that's your favorite right i always get this question a lot <laughs> very subjective i studied many of them and i count many of them as my mentors as well but i always like to talk about scott harrison when when that question comes up scott scott's not the best speaker in the world in my view but he's definitely been the most influential in my life because he's very good at what we call outcome-based speaking so he's the ceo of charity water which is a nonprofit that helps people gain access to clean drinking water and by outcome-based speaking what i mean is that Scott has a very clear intention when he presents, which is to get people to give him money, right? For his charity. That's why he presents so many times a year. I think, I think last time I checked, he does 150 to 200 keynotes a year, which is pretty insane. Wow. 
and that includes you know podcasts and whatnot mm-hmm. but i think i think the idea what he's really good at is he hones in on that story and that key outcome and he's very focused on that another speaker who does that really well is uh, gary vaynerchuk you know a lot of people don't like gary but i but i think what's very smart about how he approaches it is he has one intention do the thing he's asking to do like whether it's to get on tiktok or linkedin or you know, do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably gotten the most amount of people to actually move a finger in in their lives than any other speaker I can count. So those are two people that come to mind right now. Yeah, and you'd say both of those be outcome based in their in their methods. Yeah, for me, the way that I think about public speaking, and that's just my personal definition, is if you have an outcome and the outcome is achieved, it doesn't really matter how good you are as a speaker as long as you achieve that outcome. So let's say in my case. Let's say my outcome was convince everybody on who's listening right now to watch my videos and no, uh, or convince them that public speaking is possible. If I came onto the show and I just talked about all the technical aspects of everything, uh, I wouldn't be very successful in achieving that outcome. But if I said instead, you know, and I was five years old, my parents looked at me and they said, hey, Brendan, uh, you got to learn how to speak French because you live in Montreal. And I said, what? So imagine presenting your whole life in a language you don't even know, right? And that was my life. So if I could do it, I'm sure anyone else can too. So that's a good way of convincing people of the outcome and achieving it. That's really cool. I like that, that mindset. Uh, so congratulations being a guest on the show. You now get uh, yourself presented with a get out of fail free card which you can use now to mentally go to any uh, career or hobby or something that you've maybe tried to avoid or, or thought you'd, you'd enjoy if it wasn't for the possibility of failure. Is there, is there a, a career or a hobby or a passion you would pursue if failure wasn't um, a possibility? Hmm. That's a good question, man. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian until I saw that uh, I saw the lifestyle, a lot of my heroes, like Russell Peters and George Carlin. I was like, well, I probably don't want their lives. Let me change my life. And I'm glad I did that. But but I'd probably I'd, I'd probably use that card to try stand-up comedy. That's probably one thing that comes to mind. Have you ever uh, tried stand-up comedy at all? I've never tried. I've actually tried every other style of communication. Like I've tried improv. I've tried karaoke. And I do that quite a bit. <laughs> I do dance yep. a lot. But I don't, uh, I've never tried stand-up though. So maybe that's a challenge I should give to myself. Yeah, that sounds like uh, the next uh, big frontier, maybe. Yeah. Now, how old are you? I think you're still in your 20s, right? That's correct. I'm 24 now. Oh, nice. So you've only just recently started, but I'm curious if you go back to maybe five years ago when you were starting and maybe a little bit less sure of yourself. Is there any specific advice you might give yourself back then? Yeah, I always like to give the same piece of advice, especially for those who have made it this far in the show. The advice is very simple. Be insane. Or be the same. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, they, they want to be great. They want to do great things. But what most people don't get is the people who actually do great things. The people who do amazing things are often insane. So what do I mean by that? Think about me. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel? Not on vlogs, not on pranks, but on public speaking, communication tips. <laughs> then he went on to you know, coach executives and CEOs of big companies, but he's still living in his mother's basement. He's literally talking to you on a mattress that he sleeps on, <laughs> doesn't own a car, karaoke's in eight different languages, dances alone. And now ordained, of course, loves Justin Bieber. How does any of this make any sense at all? 
And, and that's the point, Ben. I, I've always believed that if every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably going to be very successful. I, I, I knew that five years ago, but I probably wouldn't have been able to articulate it this well. So that's probably something I would tell my uh, five-year-old self, my 15-year-old self, or every other self that I used to be. <laughs> that's really cool. Have you ever heard of, uh, or do you know who Grant Cardone is? Of course. Yeah, GC. Um, have you read Be Obsessed or Be Average? That's the actually the only book from a series that I've read. Yeah. Well, oh, really? Okay. Because it was it, what you were just saying was kind of reminiscent of that. But I think you should check out his other books because they're really uh, fantastic. But I would agree in order to be successful in any of these spheres and in, in, in your example, uh, master talk or public speaking, you really have to be, uh, whether it's insane or obsessed or just too much into it in order to really um to succeed it it's it's only helpful for you to be kind of a, a radical person when it comes to those kind of things because you that's when new ideas come to light that's how new things get made is when someone who comes and thinks about something differently you know if if the public speaking coaches were only people in their 40s or 50s who've done x number of presentations or whatever then you know the world would be robbed of some of that different insight that you certainly bring um with your very different experience i appreciate that man and and i agree quite a bit in the sense like i'm, I'm thinking about this now as i'm speaking to i think i'm gonna call it the ice the iceberg approach in the sense that when someone is ultra successful it goes on a podcast and i'm not referring to me i'm referring to people <laughs> who are much more successful than me you you see the five percent you know they're very humble they don't like to brag they don't like mm -hmm. to talk that much because you know or else it just feels weird and it doesn't it hurts their public image but if you really dig in deep the it's the other 95 percent that you're just horrified by you're just like holy what worked it like kobe bryant's a good example that i can use here he made the decision of being one of the best basketball players in the world when he was only 12 years old and he was the best player in the state when he was 15 Right. So, so I think the idea is a lot of people see the championships, they see the success and that just doesn't apply to sports that applies to everything, but they don't really see the back end. Like I think out of all the shows I've done, Ben, there's one show that just asked me about my backstory that really focused on what a case competition, what that world was. And that host was just horrified by what he heard. He was just like, you did all of that. Like that's insanity. <laughs> so that's the key. It's really be insane or be the same. Like you said, it's how you, how you be world-class at what you do. Yeah. And uh, what would you say is so like the, the next thing you're going to try or your next big failure? Is there any specific realm? I know we talked about stand up comedy, something you'd like to do, but you have no specific plans. Is there anything you're planning on doing now that you haven't yet tried that you're um, hoping to fail it until you nail it? <laughs> Probably get into a romantic relationship. I'm pretty scared of doing that. Oh, there you honest. go. Yeah, everything else is pretty easy. Oh. I, I've seen so far in my life. Unfortunately for me, I've, I found my gift in the world early. But I think uh -huh. the reason I'm very worried about that component, I don't know why I'm even talking about this on the show, <laughs> but I think I think the reason is because I've seen so many of my my heroes in life have all had failed marriages and relationships, and not many people make it on the other end mm -hmm. uh, happy. So it's something that's been bothering me. I've been holding it off and, and I probably still will be holding it off, but I know my, my time's running out despite how young I am, <laughs> but uh, something I think about on the side. Yeah. 
Well, for all the, f- the three or four listeners listening, if you're interested, <laughs> we feel free to reach out to Brendan. That is so funny, dude. They're a funny guy for the three to four listeners who love Excel. Uh, so, well, so this is uh, episode, I think, seven or eight or nine. I don't know. I, I've got a couple that are ready that haven't yet been released, but it's it's really fun getting to meet all sorts of people. And I'm sure, uh, how many podcasts have you now been on? Oh, geez. Would you guess? I know you do a lot. Probably two hundred something. Wow! Yeah, that's uh, it's that's pretty impressive. I actually saw I was in a matchmaker um, presentation thing today, or it was a webinar thing or whatever. But you were on the video. There was some oh, clip, was. clip of you giving a I don't know some sort of a review of it, kind of that they spliced in. But I was like, oh, that's awesome! I'm going to talk to him tonight. So <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. It's it, I'm sure that you do so many things that you don't even remember doing some of them, and then they kind of come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you're you're a very intuitive guy, Ben. I think that's why your girlfriend likes you so much. I think that's no, why that's intuition. Good to hear. <laughs> um so I, I only have one more question for you and feel free to to elaborate as much or as little as you like, but I was curious of your absolute top, let's say two or three tips for someone who maybe is starting completely fresh from public speaking. Right. So so puzzle is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you just do your intro 50 times, you just do your conclusion 50 times, you'll just find a confidence in public speaking that you never had before, because most people never try the same intros that many times and get better that quickly. And that's really the key. That's one takeaway. The other one I'll give you, because I don't want to give too much or else mm-hmm. you'll you'll not implement anything. <laughs> it's not because I don't want to share all the yeah, tips are, uh, or all the tips are on the channel. They're all given away for free. Yeah. But I'll say the other thing is. Do the random word exercise. So what the random word exercise is, is you pick three, four random words, you know, it could be beach or camera or tree. And then every day you make one minute presentations out of thin air. What this does is mostly for mindset. If you can present something that you have no expertise in whatsoever, when you go back to a presentation where you do have expertise, you end up being very successful. And I'll leave it up to you, Ben, if you want me to demonstrate it or not, or call it a day. It's up yeah, to you. no, I have heard it. Uh, I, I didn't listen to the podcast where you did this, but I so I'll pick a different word, of course. But I will go with calculator. Calculator, absolutely. You actually went really easy on me. Perfect. All right, <laughs> let's do this. Calculator. As I'm clickety clacking it away in my basement, and I'm clackety clicking away in this dark, misty night, I look down at my Excel spreadsheet. And I'm always amazed at how Excel can just calculate every little formula, every little thing of every equation of not just my life, but the thing that I'm working on. But Excel seems to forget the golden ages of when we didn't have things automatically calculating stuff for us, when we had to manually input every little thing of everything that we wanted a solution to. Back when I was in high school, when I didn't want to really know or rather want to know what an Excel spreadsheet was, I had the good old handy calculator. The calculator that our teachers never allowed us to use, but the calculator that helped us find the solution to our problems, mostly math ones. And in the same way, when you look at your calculator the next time for the 5% of you that still have one, ask yourself the following question. How can I use this device, not just to calculate my taxes, which probably nobody wants to do, not just to calculate my groceries or my budget, but how do I use it to calculate my life? 
you know, when you do the math and you figure it out, you realize that you don't need that much money to be happy. And if you do the right calculation, if you press the right buttons, if you figure out exactly what you want to do, you can use a calculator for much more than just the taxes that you calculate. You can use it to calculate exactly how you want to live your life. So that's something I would do. I don't know, it just comes something. Yeah, I love that. Because the thing I love most about that is I knew what you were going to do, but also I got lost in it too, reminiscing about calculators myself. <laughs> and thinking about, remember the, like, there was like all sorts of, on the TI-83 or whatever it was, there, uh, at least when I was oh, growing dude, up. Oh, dude, I remember there was that The games and stuff. There was like a drug dealing game. I forget what. Yeah, 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 <laughs> there was yeah. all sorts of dan- random games. But uh, I had totally forgot about that because it went from being something that there was nothing of and then amazing, awesome do math with and then all of a sudden has games on it now we have a calculator in our pocket it's just crazy the uh the the trajectory and the evolution of that uh, over time and how quickly it's changed absolutely and and a couple of things i want to emphasize because before we end now never compare yourself to me i've done this thousands of times that's not the goal second thing i want to push is all i'm asking for is five minutes of your day do it every single day do it a couple of times And in a year, you'll have done it as many times as me. And once again, understand why it matters. If you can talk about calculators for a minute, (laughs) when you go back to the presentation you've prepared three weeks, four weeks for, that presentation you once feared will suddenly become a joke. Yeah. It's, it's really good advice and I'm going to make sure that I do a little bit more practicing. I, I find it, I can't even rehearse like, whatever ask talking with my girlfriend about asking for a raise or you know some other thing like negotiating with a salesman for some reason for me it's really hard to rehearse something i have to be in even a real fake moment or something i don't know what it is but a lot of times i have a mental block but i think either getting better with practicing by myself or getting better getting past whatever those things are i think uh you're right that practice certainly only helps but doing practice that isn't live uh certainly is a is a less embarrassing way to do it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely uh, i I appreciate you uh coming on here and being a little bit vulnerable and and you know certainly sharing a bit of yourself with us is there somewhere specifically you'd want to point people to to check out what you're working on these days yeah absolutely the the easiest place to find me is just type master talk in one word on the youtube search engine you'll find me right there perfect and you're doing uh, how often do you make videos because i see you're you're doing quite a lot yeah, I do. I do once a week. So you can tune in every Sunday for a new one, but there's a bunch of them on, on the YouTube channel if you want to check that out. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to put a couple uh, links into the show notes. And again, thanks for coming on the show. And I appreciate you taking the time and I'll let you know uh, once it's up. Of course, Ben. Thanks for thanks for having me. All righty. Take it easy. Yeah, All the best, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.